You're listening to Missing Persons, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, Malice, Riddle Me That, All Things Crime, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its creators, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss a missing persons case on this podcast, please be sure to visit missingpersonspodcast.net. This episode may contain unsettling or disturbing subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Missing Persons, a podcast dedicated to spreading the word about people who have vanished under mysterious or unexplained circumstances and the family members who are looking for answers. I'm Jess Betancourt. And I'm Mike Morford. Together we created this podcast to help give a voice to people who continue to look for their missing loved ones. In some cases, even after decades have gone by. In each episode, you'll hear from Jess giving listeners the backstory and the basic facts of the disappearance. Then Mike will speak with someone who's intimately connected to the missing person, and his guest will share their story with us. Please stay tuned at the conclusion of this episode to hear about our Patreon program and our commitment to help find people who have gone missing. We'll also share with you where you can find more information and how you can join our team and help our efforts. You'll get recommendations for other podcasts we think you'll enjoy, and more. So sit back and enjoy this episode, and who knows, maybe you can help us find someone who's missing. Episode 30, Christopher Story. In the summer of 2013, 40-year-old Christopher Sean Story was living in a small house in the Mahoningtown neighborhood of Newcastle in northwestern Pennsylvania. On August 11th, his parents were concerned because they had received a phone call from the Newcastle police. The police reported that some of Chris's neighbors had called the authorities to report Chris's behavior. They told police that on the night of August 10th to 11th, Chris was banging on their doors in the middle of the night, looking for his parole officer. Chris had been convicted of a DUI in the past, but was no longer on probation. It made no sense that he was looking for his PO next door to his own home, and his former PO knew nothing of any of this. When Chris's parents got the call from the cops, they stopped by his house. They had a key, and they let themselves in. They noted nothing much amiss. There were clothes laid out for a doctor's appointment that Chris had that day. His house key, wallet, and phone charger were there. And even more importantly, his beloved dog Ariel was home, alone. Chris never went a day without talking to his family. There are some things about Chris that listeners need to know. He was struggling with some serious challenges in his life. First of all, he had what his family believes was undiagnosed mental illness. Chris was known to have hallucinations and paranoia, and to be jittery and anxious at times. He had bouts of depression. He was able to live alone, getting by on his disability payments, but his behavior was sometimes erratic and unpredictable. He was on prescription antidepressants, but they were left behind at his house. Chris's relationship with his live-in fiancé had ended a few months earlier, and she had moved out. Before that, he had lived with his sister. 
he had not been on his own for long. Further, Chris had been in more than one car accident in his life. A recent one had resulted in surgery to implant rods in his spine. He wore a neck brace, walked with a limp, and sometimes used a cane. And he told his family shortly before he vanished that a recent CT scan had detected some kind of dark spot on his brain. His family believes it is possible that his erratic behavior was attributable, at least in part, to whatever this was. As I said, Chris's family noted that he was gone and he had not contacted them, which was unusual. Chris had a phone, but it did not have service and was more of a device that could connect to local Wi-Fi if available. He had it with him when he vanished, but it could not provide any clues to his whereabouts. Chris didn't drive and relied on city buses to get around. He had taken off in the past, walking aimlessly to destinations that did not exist or did not make sense, but the longest he was ever away was 24 hours, and usually his family was able to locate him pretty quickly. This time, that was not the case. After some time, his parents called the Newcastle police to report him missing. Chris's family found out something else. Someone who knew Chris, a nurse at an elder care facility in town, saw him walking on a busy road in the middle of the night. This was near the facility at which Chris's grandmother lived, and the nurse was familiar with Chris and the other members of his family. It seems as though she possibly did see him, but his family remains perplexed about what he could have been doing out walking on such a dangerous road at night, especially given his physical disabilities. Police started interviewing neighbors, city bus drivers, homeless, anyone who might have seen where Chris went. Meanwhile, Chris's family also went into search mode, plastering the area with missing persons flyers, raising a reward for information, conducting searches, calling area morgues, and visiting homeless shelters and food pantries. Over the years, there have been official searches with cadaver dogs in specific locations, like a property off Route 168 near Avalon. There have also been underwater searches conducted by police dive teams. The family has been victimized by false confessions and has even resorted to mediums to try to connect to Chris. Rumors about Chris's demise at the hands of others concerning two minor brothers have led nowhere. Over the years, several people have professed to see Chris. In fact, in 2016, several people told Chris's sisters that they had seen him in the Butler, Pennsylvania area. His sister Shanna received photos from someone who had heard about the family's mission to find Chris. The photos showed someone who appears to be Chris walking on a trail in Butler. Even the Newcastle chief of police acknowledged that the man in the photos bore a lot of similarities to Chris. Also, a pizza shop owner in Butler reported seeing someone who could have been Chris on the sidewalk outside her restaurant. The family descended on Butler asking about Chris and handing out flyers with his photo. Shanna told Newcastle News, quote, Several of the people we ran into told us they knew who he was and that he was using a different name. The name he was using was Sean, Chris's middle name. But this man in Butler turned out to be someone else, and the family still has not found Chris. The Newcastle PD has entered Chris's information into VICAP. This is the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program database. While foul play is not necessarily suspected in Chris's case, it has not been ruled out either. It has to be said that Newcastle has some areas that are considered high crime. According to one source, the city has a crime rate that is higher than 94% of the other cities and towns in Pennsylvania. On average, violent crime happens to 30 out of every 100 persons there, as opposed to 22.7 countrywide. 
Lindsay, Chris's sister, says that there is a lot of corruption in the town and that some people who knew Chris are refusing to talk or to assist in the investigation. It's entirely possible that Chris left his home in the middle of the night, disoriented and confused, and something happened to him either accidentally or at the hands of another. Or he could be alive, living as a homeless person or even a loner in the unsettled areas of the state or the country. Finally, Chris could have accepted a ride from someone and left the area entirely, although his family believes this is extremely unlikely. Chris's story stands about six foot one inch tall, and at the time of his disappearance, he weighed 160 pounds. He is of thin build with brown hair and blue eyes. He has scars on his legs, a chipped tooth, and may walk with a limp. He also has metal pins in his spine. Chris's sisters, Lindsay and Shanna, maintain a Facebook page called Help Us Bring Chris Home to spread the word about their brother. If you have any information about the disappearance of Chris's story, please call the Newcastle Police at 724-656-9300. Mike Morford sat down with Lindsay Stoops, Chris's sister, to talk about her brother's case. That conversation is coming up after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Lindsay, and thanks for coming on Missing Persons to discuss your brother Chris's case with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's our pleasure. We want to help you spread the word uh, about him being missing and get some information out there if we can. Uh, and before we get into the details surrounding Chris's disappearance, can you talk to us a little bit about Chris himself and, and tell us a little bit about him? Sure. Um, well, he was always, is always, I mean, I, it's been, we're going on nine years now. Uh, he was a very big family, family oriented person. Um, yeah, into sports, into weather. Uh, he lived on his own with his dog. Uh, he has daughter, but, um, you know, he had just uh visitation, so he would see her and whenever he would, it was, I mean, she was the light of his life. Um, he was 40 years old whenever he went missing. Um, he, he was having a lot of health issues, uh, prior to him going missing. Um, I mean, he would, he would call either me or my sister or my parents every single day. Um, just, he, he was just a, a, a goofball and, <laughs> you know, he was just friendly to everybody. Um, big Steelers fan and, uh, you know, just your average guy. Loved the ladies. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's, that's who he was and is, you know, um, that's all I can really give on, you know, who he was at the time before he had gone missing. Um, and then he started uh, having like schizophrenic tendencies and stuff. Uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't uh, like diagnosed or anything that he had schizophrenia, um, but he had um, pretty, a, a lot of car accidents in his life. So we think that there was some sort of brain, brain damage or something along the lines at some point. Uh, he went to the hospital um, for a lot of things going wrong with him mentally and physically and 
um, they, he had said that they had found a black spot on his brain in one of his CT scans. Um, so I don't know if that black spot was going to like a dark spot, like a shadow, I guess you could say. Um, so I don't know if that was what was causing him to have these episodes that he was having where he would see things or hear things or witness things that nobody else was. Um, but that was not was, too long before he went missing too. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, whenever he had gone missing, like we got a phone call from, from the police department, uh, stating that he was walking up and down, going all around in our, around his area where he lived, um, knocking on doors and asking people for his probation officer. And he didn't even have one anymore. He had one for, um, a DUI. Uh, but he was, he didn't, he was, he wasn't on house arrest or anything like that at this time. He was just for some reason looking for a probation officer. Um, we don't know why. And the, you know, the one that he did have a while before has no idea why that he would even be looking for him because he wasn't even on probation anymore. Um, and then that was it. That was, that was it. After that, there was nothing. So it's pretty clear that he had something going on and, and it, mm-hmm. it very easily could have been linked to, to one of these injuries he had suffered in a car accident. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, how long was that going on? Was it, uh, did it get worse over time or was it something- over time? Yeah, it did. Um, at first we always thought like he acted like he was drunk. Um, and then it started progressing where, you know, we would just witness certain things where, you know, I was with him all day and I know that he wasn't drinking and he, he didn't do drugs because, I mean, he's been, he was at the hospital quite often for different things. Um, and there was never anything found in his, in, in blood or anything that, you know, that he was on anything. And he was even against like marijuana. If he knew that certain people in his life even smoked pot, he would get so upset. So, I mean, he didn't do that. You know, he didn't, he, whenever he went missing, all of his medications were still at home untouched. Like he wasn't even taking his medication because he just didn't even want to do that. So, um, and his medication was like for, uh, like an antidepressant, uh, he had celiacs, but I don't think any of the medications were for that. I don't, I don't think there's really a medication for that. My mommy and sister both have that as well. And they're not on anything, just special diet. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had leads that turned into nothing. We've had very, so many doppelgangers where, you know, I've hit the floor thinking, oh my goodness, you know, someone sent me a picture and I, I, I know that's him. And we go and it's not, I mean, he's, he has so many of them. It's insane. That would give you false hope hearing about that. Yes. We've had, yeah, we've had lots of that. Let me Mm -hmm. ask you this. Had Chris ever disappeared for a stretch of time, even days or hours where he just dropped out of sight? Yes. Um, 
he was uh, close to Erie, PA. We're in Newcastle. Erie's about, he was close to that. I think, no, it was Franklin. I'm sorry. He was in Franklin, PA. Um, headed, and he said he was going to the fair or something, and there wasn't even a fair going on. Um, his car was just over on the side of the road, and uh, my ex-husband at the time went and picked him up from the police station because they didn't understand what he was, you know, why he was just walking around on, on a highway saying he was going to a fair. Uh, he would say that there was a thing called a zip card in his in his phone where people would just end up in his car and then they'd be gone. One minute there would be somebody with him and then the next they'd be gone. It's it's almost like that's what happened to him. Like he was with us and then he was gone. So, I mean, it was just, it's all just, it's all a riddle. Like there's no rhyme or reason for any, I mean, for anything that he said or what he saw, you know, it, it, it was, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> it seems like if, even if, whatever he was going through mentally or physically, it seems like if that played a role, you know, that might explain him going missing in the first place, but then to not have him turn up after all this time, that's yeah. a, a puzzling part of it. Yeah. Well, let's, I... let's go back to the night, if we can, um, the night he vanished. Do you know how everything mm-hmm. unfolded that night? What what happened and, and how you all came to, to realize that he was missing? Um, I was actually, me and my daughter, we were staying for the, for a few days. It was summertime, the end of summer, um, staying at my sister's house. And my mom had called my sister's house to let us know. We got a phone call last night, um, that your brother you know, nobody can find him. We got a phone call saying that he was uh, walking around Mahoning Town in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. That's where he lived. Uh, and nobody can find him. Your dad went out looking for him. The cops have been looking for him. And I mean, that's that's it. And then, we, you know, we've all started looking around for him the, that, that day. Ray back into town and we never stopped. Did the police get involved immediately? Yes. Yeah, and, they did. And did they um, find any clues or any anything that helped them? Go no. Even like his phone, he didn't have. He, I mean, he was struggling, and he didn't have um, like a phone number or anything. He just had. He would go places where you know he could get Wi-Fi, like my parents' house or Walmart or wherever, just to get on Facebook and all that and i actually hacked into his facebook went through all of his messages to see if there was any kind of clue i couldn't find anything you know since there was no phone number or anything and then he left his charger and everything and his phone was on him but the the police couldn't ping anything on his phone so you know he had to take his dog in and people took over his dog and his dog i believe his dog was 13 at the time and he wouldn't go anywhere like without his dog if he was going somewhere for you know a few days and he had a a doctor's appointment that day i believe or the day after he had his clothes laid out 
ready to go for that. Um, he, uh, I mean, if you went and looked in his cupboards, every, all the cans, all of his medicine, everything was like perfectly turned and stacked, like super neat. It was, it was weird. Definitely odd seeing how everything was aligned in his house. And he had, he had a storage unit for some reason. Still, he had a house, but he had plastic lawn furniture as his furniture in the living room. But he had like beautiful furniture, beautiful furniture in his storage unit. Hmm. And so, he never, <laughs> it doesn't, didn't make sense. And you think this is maybe all could be attributed towards whatever is going on with him uh, mentally or physically? Yes. Unless, you know, I don't know. We've had people tell us stories where this person said that they did this to him and this is where he's at, you know, that they, that they had murdered him. Um, we've had diving teams, everything go to these locations with nothing turning up. Uh, we, I mean, we've turned to even going to mediums, you know, whatever it took, you know, and you can only take those them so far, you know. It's like you're willing because to go down any like, avenue okay. just to try and find out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he would do the same thing for any of us. Yeah. And, so. and let's, let's touch on what you just mentioned, some of the rumors going around that someone may have harmed him or, or or there might be foul play. Mm -hmm. Did he have any yeah. issues or any enemies at the time that, that he went missing? Um, no, I, I, I want to say no, but he would tell his neighbors, like he was, had a falling out with his landlord, um, that people were just coming in and out of his house. Uh, and, you know, obviously those always, everybody had denied all of that. Uh, there was actually the, the day, the night that he went missing, there was a neighbor told us that there was a camper that was parked in front of his house, but you know, he was still, he was, I, I believe he was still home. Um, because his neighbor saw him going out the, you know, the door and he was walking up and down the street. So I don't know if whoever owned this camper knows anything. I don't know. We've never gotten, you know, a license plate or anything on any of that. It's a, it's and an we don't know anybody that has one. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. So the interesting thing would be if there's anyone that he knew that had a camper or anyone that you knew that had a camper no. as a starting point no. to look. Right. Yeah. We don't, we don't know anybody with one. Wow. And so it, it seems like there's no clear evidence of any kind of foul play that he may have just walked off or wandered off on his own for whatever reason. But then if that's the case, then if something happened, if he, if he got, you know, fell down and hit his head and, and passed away, he should be out there someplace. Somebody should be coming across mm -hmm. him. That's never happened. You know, we we have we have search teams that we're uh, with. Uh, they trek through all of the woods. I mean, we and we just had we actually have two people, other people missing in our town. So we just had a candlelight vigil in our town, you know, for 
all of our families with missing people. And they said that, you know, they, they go out so often that we don't even know that they're, that they go, you know, they go all over in the woods and water searching for any, anybody, you know, any of the three people, but it always turns up nothing. Uh, the foul play, the, it was to be two brothers and they were both minors. So I guess, I mean, the police said that they couldn't interrogate them or anything because, you know, it was just a hearsay. So, so nothing, nothing solid to go on. No, no. Um, I had the, the, per, the kid that had come to me about the rumor, he had been friends with these brothers at one point. And these brothers had told him, you know, everything that they did. And he okayed me to uh, record him talking about it. And um, it, wasn't admi- it wasn't admissible in court because I, at the beginning of the video and st- or the recording, I didn't say, you know, is it okay if I'm recording you and all of that? So, plus they were minors and I, nothing ever happened with, with that either. <laughs> so that never so, went any, any place? No. Huh. Nope. You mentioned uh, on Facebook, I think, that as far as you knew, when oh. he vanished, that he was not in a good state of mind. Um, I'm curious, were you basing that on all he was dealing with, with his medical conditions? Was he openly depressed? Did he talk about being upset? Uh, no, he didn't talk to me, you know, at least about being upset or anything. He, I mean, there would be times where he would call and everything seemed fine. And then my sister had said that the next minute he was crying. I mean, but he never cried to me about anything. Uh, it was basically if, if he was crying about anything, it would just be about his daughter or something because he had missed her or whatever. So, <clears throat> but no direct, you know, mentions of, of harming himself or anything like that. No, no, not at all. And, nope. and this this area, I, I assume you mentioned sort of rumors get started, things like that. Um, so so people talk. Was there anyone that knew him well, any of his friends that police checked with or questioned that had any kind of other ideas or insights to offer? Uh, yeah, uh, he was friends with his neighbor, his one neighbor. Um, her father actually ended up being our first detective. And then we had to, we went with a different, we we got dropped and we got a different detective. I'm not sure if it's because he was friends with his daughter. I don't I don't know if that's a thing. Like if you're friends with if it 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 tampers with anything or whatever. So we ended up with a different detective. Um, she, I mean, she talked to him a lot. She. Uh, my dad and mom would talk to her quite often about things with him and 
they would hang out and whatnot. But she, you know, now for some reason she just dropped us. Like she doesn't, she, she has us blocked on Facebook. Um, this town um, is crooked. That's, that's all I can say. This town is absolutely crooked. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody is related to someone higher up in this town. Um, I believe a hundred percent people that were close with him know where he's at. Whenever I say, whenever we have um, vigils or searches or anything, these people don't come to anything. Um, People that he was friends with growing up his whole life, they don't show to anything. And it's heartbreaking. Because these are the people that are supposed to be friends and care about your brother. Yeah. I mean, if I went missing and my friends didn't show up, what does that tell you? That Wouldn't that make you question, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a lot to have to, to, you know, feel that and deal with that on top of not knowing where he is, but not having those people turn out to support him. This to be an extra burden. Yeah. Let me ask you about one other thing that, that was mentioned in, in July of 2016. You made a post that Chris had been seen with a woman named Erica um, being driven to Butler. Do you, looking back now, do you believe that that was accurate, that he was with this woman named Erica? And have you ever spoken with her? And if so, what did she have to say? Uh, they, it ended up not being her him. So she like basically- I said, every every single kind of lead that we've ever had, it, it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, it's either people trying to steer us in a in an opposite direction, or you know the wrong direction <laughs> to try and cover something up. Um, I I don't. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like you're really, you know, frustrated after so long of not, oh gosh. <laughs> not having any kind of answers and 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 not having uh, any clue oh, which way to go. Whenever I say that we've even gone with mediums, let me tell you, we I've even ended up, you know, with directions, and I've ended up on climbing over or climbing through barbed or uh, an electrical fence kind of thing around a farm and there was a bull and I had to run and, and, and I got shocked going back through. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it it's, yes. oh. it's just proof that you're out there following every yes. <laughs> lead, no matter how crazy I'm it like, is. Oh my God. <laughs> It's we've we've definitely had our share of stories to tell <laughs> on these things. It, it's oh, trading. It's so exhausting that I mean, there's no, we've turned every single corner, we've turned every single page, every single leaf. He's somewhere, and I, we, my parents are hurting so bad. You know, my mom is a very, very emotional person. And, you know, me and my sister have to do all of it. Like, 
all the talking, all of the calling of the news, you know, all that stuff. And we, we don't have anywhere else to go. Have you considered, or maybe you've already done this, have you thought about maybe reaching out to um, shelters throughout the state and maybe it? Um, oh, yeah, we have. We coast? have. I mean, we've even reached, we've even reached the morgues. Just putting yeah, the word out, looking for terribly. him. And, and not finding yep. anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything within two mo- two hour radius uh, of, you know, male's body turned up in river or anything, we're calling. We call. Because he, I mean, he had, he didn't have any uh, tattoos, but he had or has um, uh, screws in his, in his spine or pins. Uh, because, you know, he got, he had a back injury and everything like from car accidents. And I'm not sure if they they all stemmed from the car accidents or if he has fallen on his own that we weren't aware of. Like I said, he lived by himself. So. uh, It's very frustrating to, to reach out to reach out and not have any kind of positive responses or any possible clues to follow outside of your area yeah Uh, yep my sister you know if she sees something you know about person found that's unidentified you know she'll send me the link to it and one of us calls to see you know and it always turns up now we're at the point where we just want to bring him home whether it's a happy ending or not i think we deserve that and he does too yeah, even if he's he's passed away, to to have his remains to give him a, a proper burial or memorial yeah. or whatever would be would be important. I could definitely understand that. Um, do you, so I guess looking back, just based on what you know, knowing your brother, knowing what he was dealing with, could he have accepted a ride with someone and left the area, or just left because he was frustrated and wanted to make a fresh start someplace? Do you ever see a possibility where that happened? I mean, like he could, anything's possible, but he, he would never not, if he was going somewhere, he wouldn't just leave us and his dog, he would still call. That's just who he was. Just the family guy. We're, we, it's proof now that we, we were all he has. Have you started any kind of uh, Facebook pages or websites or anything to send people to learn more about the case? Yeah, he has. um, We made a a Facebook group. Help us bring Chris home. Yeah, my sister. I had actually gotten rid of my Facebook for a while. um, And then and I was the one that created the Facebook page. And since I have a new Facebook page as of you know, it wasn't, I think it was only like a few months after I had deleted my Facebook page. I got a new one and it made it so I couldn't be an owner or the, an admin on the page. So my sister, she took over that and she does a lot of the lives and everything on there. And and that's, uh, I just make sure I have the right page and we can give out the right link. Yeah. It's help us bring Chris home. It has 3.6. 
thousand likes on it. Okay. So it's easier for you to find. Yeah, we can. And then it has. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm looking right at it right now. We can definitely put that into uh, the episode and, and get that out so more people will have pictures of him to share. Uh, Thank you. Flyers and, and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. I, I know at this point that you said you were, you're sort of uh, at the point where you're willing to uh, accept even if he's passed away, you just want to bring him home. Um, mm-hmm. If he somehow is alive and he's out there someplace and he could hear your voice, what message would you want to tell him? He, you, you've missed out on so much stuff. Um, it's so hard going on without you. Mom and dad miss you so much. Uh, me and Shana, we love you so much. You're our only brother. and. We've always looked up to you. We were just, we just want you to come home. Well, I can tell that this is still uh, very tough for you, and and I wish you luck going forward and keeping up the the fight to find out what happened to him. And and I hope you do get some kind of answers and, and your family can find some kind of peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Missing Persons. If you can provide any information to help solve the case we discussed in this episode, we hope that you'll contact the appropriate authorities. We hope that you'll tell your friends about Missing Persons and invite them to listen to the show. Word of mouth will really help us grow. And if you'd like to help us reach new listeners, please be sure to rate and review Missing Persons on the platform you're listening to us now on. We'd like to tell you a little bit about our Patreon program. If you visit patreon.com backslash missing podcast, you can sign up to help this podcast through ongoing monthly support. As a thank you, we'll give you an on-air shout out, a thank you card and sticker, plus you'll get ad-free early access to every new episode of Missing Persons, as well as any bonus content. Your Patreon support also goes directly towards helping the missing, because every dollar that we earn through Patreon will be split with two worthwhile causes that benefit the efforts to bring missing people home. CharlieProject.org and Private Investigations for the Missing. Your Patreon support will really go a long way towards helping. We hope you'll consider supporting the show. Just a reminder, new episodes of Missing Persons drop every other Saturday. If you want to find us on social media, you can search Facebook for Missing Persons Podcast. We're also on Twitter with the handle at missing underscore pod. And of course, you can always find us on our website, missingpersonspodcast.net. As we wrap up, we'd like to play a preview for you for a true crime podcast called California Dreaming. Be sure to give it a listen. On behalf of Jess Betancourt, this is Mike Morford saying thanks, and we'll see you next time on Missing Persons. California Dreaming is a true crime podcast launched in 2017 that delves into the dark side of the Golden State and sometimes beyond. Born and raised in California, I not only cover the crimes that have fascinated me over the years, but the ones that have fascinated you as well. With a backlog of hundreds of episodes and bonuses and dozens more on Patreon, you'll have countless hours to binge. And with soothing music and a unique, quiet intensity, you might just be lulled to sleep. Almost every episode is over an hour long, ad-free, with no loud bursts of music or audio clips. California Dreaming is available on all your favorite directories, so hit subscribe and give it a try. It just might be your new go-to bedtime podcast.
Missing Persons is produced under the name Abjack Entertainment by Mike Morford and Jessica Betancourt. It's hosted by Mike Morford and Jessica Betancourt, with writing and research by Jessica Betancourt and editing by Mike Morford. Be sure to listen every other Saturday for an all-new episode of Missing Persons.